Okay, good morning, guys. Let's all stand to our feet. My name is Kara. I'm one of the pastors on the team here. And whether you are watching online or you're with us this morning, we are going to start with worship. Yeah. 
places waiting. Oh, dance like the weight has been lifted. Graces. We have space to dance this morning, right?
stop, you never stop working. You never stop, you never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop, you never stop.
got so into the song, I forgot about the microphone. <laughs> wow, that's the kind of morning it is. You know, what a timely reminder that we are no longer slaves to fear, that we don't have to live in that reality. Why? Because of what we said about who God is. He's the way maker. He's the miracle worker. He's the light in darkness. And here's, here's what was, I felt really challenged while we were singing that. God has actually invited us to be his reflection, his ambassadors in the world. So if God is the way maker, when we say yes and show up when we don't see the way, we live that out. If God is the light in the darkness, then when we choose to say yes and reflect his light, even in the midst of darkness, we're living that truth out. When we say, yes, God is the miracle worker, when we show up in people's lives, we don't realize when we are the answer to their prayer. That's the invitation. That's the challenge. And our community needs that more now than ever. They need us to be the reflection of who God is, to show them exactly who we declare with our words He is. He is the way maker, and we will be the people who show up. He is the light in the darkness, and we will be a light on the hill reflecting His love. That's who we are. Why don't you do this? Let's pray. Let's, let's start this time with prayer. Jesus, we are so aware of the fear in our community, the uncertainty in our community, and maybe even in us. And so we look to you, waymaker, miracle worker, light in the darkness, the God who is working even when we can't see it, the God who is always moving, always working for the good of those who love him. God, we trust that. So we lift up those in our community who are grieving loss of a loved one. God, we pray for them. And God, we lift up the sick in our community. And we pray that your, your hands would be on them, that their, your peace would be on them. God, we pray for caregivers and family of the sick. God, that you would give them peace in this time. God, we pray for doctors and nurses. God, people who are putting themselves in, in the path of this, God, to care for those people. So I pray so much that you would give them wisdom and discernment and strength. I'm sure they're exhausted. Would you fill them up? And God, we pray for our government officials who are having to make decisions every day. God, would you give them wisdom? Would you um, speak to them, God, that they might orchestrate and help bring peace to our community? And God, I pray for the community of believers that we would be people of peace, that we would be people who show up, that we would be people who are light in the darkness. In Jesus' name.
Amen. You can take a seat. You can take a seat. We recognize church looks a lot different today. Uh, while most of you are joining us online this morning, we know this to be true, that even if we're not all in the same room, we remain still one body, one spirit, one family. The location we're at does not change the reality that we're in this together. So for those of you watching at home, I do want to draw your attention to a couple buttons that are right below where the service is streaming right there. You'll see a couple buttons. You'll see a button for like handouts, a button for giving. You'll also see a little button for a connection card, a little digital connection card. You know, that's pretty amazing. Technology, right? Who knew? Um, it's a gift. You're going to want to fill that out sometime, and I'm sure there are prayer requests, and so we want to make sure we're still praying for you throughout the week. So you just click that button, and it will take you, and you can fill it out. If you've got updated information or, again, any prayer requests, we want to pray for you. And then if you're here, go ahead and fill that out during the service too. So this past weekend, we were supposed to, we were all set to host Refresh, our annual conference for adoptive and foster families, and things didn't really go as planned. Due to the public health recommendations, Refresh was canceled, and there was a lot of disappointment, a lot of disappointment for the staff, for families and parents who were struggling, and I feel like there was a lot of pain in the moment. But what we saw is glimpses of the truth about who God is. He showed up. He still worked. He still moved in people's lives. You'll hear stories that God still refreshed people even when things didn't go like we imagined they would. And so I, I want to say this. This is true today, tomorrow, next month, that Overlake will continue to be a place that cares for and serves families who are doing adoptive and foster care work. We will do that because that's who we are. And we're going to be that place, and we'll keep being that, even when things don't go the way we imagined or hoped. And here's the reality. I really am so thankful for technology. I'm so thankful that we can still do church, still be together, even in the midst of all this. And the reason I'm thankful for that is because we have a very special guest with us this morning, Pastor Eugene Cho. He is the founder of One Day Wages. It's an organization that works to alleviate poverty. He's also the author of several books. You can find them on Amazon. And his newest book, which I just cannot wait to read because the title alone, which is Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk, sounds amazing. We probably all could read it. But I am so thrilled that we get to hear from him this morning. So thank you so much for being with us. Woo! All right. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I know that the majority of folks are watching online, which is good. And I'm also glad that a handful of you are here as well, because my nightmare would have been just to preach to my wife only during uh, morning service. Nightmare for her, dream for me. But... Uh, Again, I'm so grateful that you're here. I want to just take care of a couple logistical stuff if I can. Uh, again, what, what a surreal uh, time and period uh, as we're just trying to be good neighbors and good citizens and good followers of Jesus in our area and in our country and around the world. And so I just really echo the, the pastoral prayer about wanting uh, to be people of peace and care and love. And so may we continue to do that 
it's an honor and privilege to be here, but not in the circumstances that I imagined. But again, I'm so glad that I can be here and uh, be a small voice of encouragement, not just to Overlake Church, but uh, to many of the refreshed community that uh, probably might be watching online live right now or might be watching in the coming weeks. I want you to know that uh, we see you, we love you, we honor you, and we continue to pray for you as you go about your calling as foster and adoptive uh, caregivers and parents. Um, I wanted to just maybe ask for prayer, if I may. Um, this past week, actually, I uh, released this second book, and uh, uh, it was referenced earlier, but it's a book called Thou Shalt Not Be a Jerk, and the tagline, it's a Christian's guide to engaging politics. Uh, the rumors are not true. This is not inspired by Dan Hamer. This is not a personal book for, for Dan. Uh, but it's just to help navigate uh, some of the contentious climate that we're in. I don't know about you, but I really do feel like politics has grown to become one of the big idolatries of our world. And I'm not suggesting that we as Christians should avoid politics, but we should engage it, but also be reminded that our ultimate loyalty isn't to powers, to party, but ultimately to the kingdom of God. And so if you're interested in learning more about how we can navigate that, you can go online and check out this book. Now, if you have your Bibles with you, I'd love to encourage you at this time uh, to turn your Bible to the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. The Gospel of John, chapter 21. And um, I'm preaching this to my sisters and brothers here at Overland lake, but also mindful of our dear friends of the refreshed community. So John chapter 21, we're going to be reading verses 1 to 14. Verses 1 to 14, listen now for the word of God. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, it is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. 
Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. So, Father, thank you again so much for the privilege that is to open up your word, to study your word. We ask for your presence and for your power for every single person listening to this sermon. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight and all God's people said, amen, amen. This morning, right when uh, I came to the church, I was greeted with one of the most uh, an answer to prayer, one of those surreal moments, because we're having a virtual church, if you will. Uh, some of your staff came up to me and I asked the question, how long do I have for the sermon? And they said, well, because there isn't normal family and children's ministry, uh, you could have as long as you want. <laughs> I've never had a church say that to me. So I said, put two hours on the clock. No, just kidding. We'll spend about 40 minutes together. Now, I don't know about you, but there are certain passages in Scripture that you just naturally gravitate towards. And there's reasons behind it. Now, for me, one of my favorite stories in the Scripture, not just teaching, but just reading and studying for myself, is this passage right here in John chapter 21. Now I want to share with you two main reasons why I love this passage. Reason number one is because it is a fishing story. Now I don't know about you, but I love to fish. Just show, well, show of hands. How many of you here <laughs> like fishing? Just raise your hands. So a couple of hands. How many of you guys like to eat fish? Wow, almost everyone, lazy people. Uh, you need to learn how to fish to also eat fish. Now, I love fishing. It's one of the reasons why I love living in the Puget Sound area. One of the best places to go fishing. Whether it's salt fishing, freshwater fishing. And I particularly love bass fishing. One of my dreams someday is to become a professional bass fisherman. To have Overlake logo as a sponsor on my vest. Uh, I thought I would show you one of my recent favorite catches. So here it is. Here's a recent favorite fish that I caught. It's my first DD, double digit fish. Now, some of you might be wondering why is he showing a picture of a recent catch? There is no reason. I'm just showing off because that's what fishermen do. Now, another reason why I love the story is because it's not just a fishing story. That if you were to really study it, really comb through it, if you were to really dig into this story, there is a rawness and honesty and vulnerability about this story that deeply speaks to me. Now what do I mean? Scholars tell us that when you are to carefully study this, that beyond a fishing story or a breakfast story, that what this story really is about is a group of people who believed in Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who worshiped Jesus, and yet they're about to quit. That when Peter says, I'm going fishing, what he's really saying isn't, 
I'm bored, I have nothing else to do, and therefore I'm going to go fishing. What Peter really is saying is I'm exhausted, I'm tired, I'm worn out, I'm unsure, I'm living in fear or anxiety. This isn't what I signed up for. That what Peter really is saying is this isn't what I imagined and I'm going back to what I did before I encountered Jesus. I don't know about you, but that really speaks to me. I know that as a pastor, I'm supposed to give the impression that I have all the theological answers, that I have no doubt, no fear, no anxiety. I know that as a pastor, I should stand here and tell you that in the face of COVID-19, that I have absolutely no anxiety or fear. But if I'm honest, probably like each of you who might be watching or listening, there are moments of our lives that we struggle with the roller coaster of human emotions. And there may be occasions in our life where we said to ourselves, I'm done. I'm done. And I want to go back. Now, most of you might know that Peter, along with some of the other disciples, before they encountered Jesus, and when Jesus says, come follow me, we know that they were fishermen. And sometimes I feel like we minimize or diminish the disciples. Now, they weren't millionaires or CEOs of company, but did you actually know that Peter, along with others, they were actually small business owners? They had their own fishing business. They, they had their own nets. They had their own boats. They made a decent living out of this. And so Peter, in the face of uncertainty, he says, I'm going back to what I was doing. Now, if we think about it, it's kind of a common story. Even the Israelites in the Old Testament, despite the power of God, the prophetic power shown through Moses and others being freed from the bondage of Pharaoh during this time as they set out to the promised land, a very circuitous, very up and down journey, even the Israelites were saying, we want to go back. Not crazy, they want to go back to bondage. They want to go back living under tyranny. And I just wonder if there might be someone here, someone at Overlake, someone from the refreshed community thinking to themselves, wow, this is not what I signed up for. I can't tell you how many foster and adoptive caregivers, parents I've met over the years that have said, you know, Pastor Eugene, if we knew what the journey was before us, I'm going to go back. This marriage is not what I signed up for. This job is not what I signed up for. This circumstance is not what I signed up for. If we're honest, I suspect that every single one of us that we can resonate with this. And so today my prayer is that the Holy Spirit might speak to someone, might encourage someone, might exhort someone. Now, for the sake of time, because I don't want to go two hours, 
I do want to give you five things that we can glean from our passage today. Five things. Typically it's longer, but just five things that I want to share with you that we can learn, that I'm hoping and praying would be of encouragement to everyone that's listening. Here's number one. Point number one is the most important point. It's the point that we have to keep coming back to again and again and again. No matter what season, no circumstance, no situation, point number one, I believe, is the absolute most important point. I'm pausing for dramatic effect. Point number one, listen carefully, three words. Here it is. Jesus is alive. Jesus is alive. I know that we're still several, a couple months before Resurrection Sunday, but we don't have to wait for Easter Sunday to proclaim again and again that the tomb is still empty. That Jesus is still alive. So what I'm saying is, in the midst of this story, in the midst of fishing, in the midst of nets, in the midst of breakfast, what we lose sight of is that there is a man named Jesus who was once crucified, is now alive. Meaning that Jesus is who he says he is, and that he will accomplish what he says he will accomplish. In other words, Jesus is not just merely a fictitious story, not just a good moral teacher, not just a revolutionary figure. Jesus is Lord and Savior. That's the most important thing. No matter what you're going through, we have to remind ourselves that Jesus is still alive. I love how a theologian by the name of Jorgen Moltmann, who writes a very critical book called A Theology of, of Hope. And in his book, he basically says that our faith rises and falls on the resurrection. Now, you know that this is the third time recorded in scriptures that Jesus appears to the disciples. There are 12 different instances of the stories of the resurrected Jesus recorded in the Gospels. I love how the Apostle Paul speaks about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14. He simply says, If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is our faith. In other words, let me give you a blunt modern translation of what Paul just said. If Jesus is not alive... This is a show. This is a show. People watching online, you're idiots. <laughs> to be very blunt, it's all a show if Jesus is not alive. This is why we believe the most essential aspect of our convictions is that there are stories after stories of stories of Jesus who was once dead, being raised by the power of God, and the stories and stories and stories for generations upon generations of lives being transformed by the power of God. Friends, Jesus is alive. People might be asking, so how do you respond to COVID-19? Well, we don't have to be a one. We don't have to be a ten. Somewhere in between with wisdom. But never forget that Jesus is still alive. 
that Jesus is still Lord. I was recently reading the testimony of a Nigerian pastor by the name of Pastor Ndimi. Now, I don't have the time to go deeply into his testimony, so I would encourage you to go online to learn more about Pastor Ndimi. You can bing it. I know I'm on the east side, so I want to give some props to Microsoft. You can bing it, Pastor Ndimi. I first heard about his story a couple months ago, very tragically, when he was captured by the Boko Haram terrorist group in Nigeria. And in his captivity video, this pastor, surrounded by his oppressors, looks into the camera and shares his testimony of Jesus Christ. What was meant to provoke fear among people Pastor Andimi just says, the reason why I have peace in this moment is because I know that Jesus is alive. And I can't tell you how I'm reading and watching, literally watching this video in tears. Tragically, Several weeks later, news spread and was confirmed that he was beheaded. And I know that he is welcomed and greeted into the hands of his creator. These words, this truth is the most important thing. I'm not suggesting that when you profess this tomorrow morning that everything in your life is going to be hunky-dory. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that in the midst of brokenness in this world, the prevailing truth, the ultimate truth that Jesus is alive will give you meaning into everything that we do and everything that we go through. Don't forget number one. Here's the second point that I want to make that I think can be really helpful for this time. Some of you might be asking, so why is it that Peter, along with the other disciples, why is it that they were discouraged, disillusioned? Why were they on the verge of quitting? I think they were on the verge of quitting because like some of us, maybe all of us, they struggled with something that I called the human conundrum. And the human conundrum is the obsession of wanting to be in control. Now, just, you don't have to raise your hands, but just give me a look, nod your head. How many of us here, watching online, maybe a couple of you that are here, how many of us love to be in control of our lives? Every single one of us, whatever personality type, I don't care what your Enneagram is, don't tell me. <laughs> I suspect that every single one of us, we want to be in control of our life. So here's point number two. Just think about the word clarity. You see, the disciples wanted clarity for their lives. 
I can imagine my imagination here the disciples having gone through incredible high, then experiencing the low of seeing their rabbi, teacher, mentor, Lord being killed and crucified, and then they see Jesus again in the resurrected bodily fresh flesh. They're so excited and invigorated, and then Jesus gives them instructions, go into all the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, baptize everyone in the name of Jesus. I can imagine the disciples having been so invigorated, and then Jesus disappears, he shows up again, he says the same thing, disappears again, and at some point the disciples are having this spiritual high mountaintop moment, and then at one point they say, okay, how do we do this? Wait, how do we do this? How do we go to the ends of the earth? Have you ever received a word from God? A vision? Have you ever received something from God and you're so convicted and encouraged and then after that moment settles down, you're like, uh-oh, I have no idea what to do. I can't tell you how many times I've met, again, foster care or adoptive parents who were convicted to become foster or adoptive parents. And then, wait, what? How do we do this? And so I imagine at this moment, Peter and the other saying, where's the manual? Where's the step-by-step? I don't know about you, but my favorite, I think, the most brilliant invention in human history, in my opinion, is the GPS. <laughs> I love the GPS because it has reduced fights in our marriage by 98.9%. <laughs> I love the map. I love not knowing where I'm going, but simply putting in the address, and there I go, I'm there. Remember years ago when we had to actually have a, a thing called a paper map and you had to unfold it as you were driving. You shouldn't, but, but I did sometimes. Remember when we really advanced as a people and there was something called MapQuest. <laughs> Do you remember that? And you had to actually print out 36 pages <laughs> for one destination. Do you remember that? Now I'm so grateful that all we can do is just simply input it. And the reason why we love it, let's be honest, is because we want to know where we're going. And I think that disciples struggled on the verge of quitting even though they saw Jesus, walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus. It's because they didn't quite know what the future held for them. Man, I believe this to be one of the biggest issues, not just for all people, but specifically folks from the Western world that's obsessed with control. And I want you to know right now that God, in his word, never promises you clarity. The gospel isn't, I will show you every single detail of your future. The gospel is, yes, the blood of Jesus saving us, the gospel is, he says, Matthew 28, verse 20, he will be with us always. The gospel is his presence. 
the gospel is Jesus being with us. Romans chapter 8, verse 38, 39, nothing will separate us from the love of God. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But God never says, I will show you every single detail of your future. I was 18 years old when I first made a confession, a decision to say, yes, Lord. I want to be a follower of Jesus. I want to follow you in my life. So as an 18-year-old, for whatever reason, I think I was taught this, but I began to pray a certain prayer every single day. Not just once, but actually two, three times a day, I would pray the prayer that was the most pervasive prayer of my life the first four or five years. It went something like this, God, show me my future. And my heart was genuinely in the right place. God, would you show me my future? More specifically, I would say, God, would you show me what my major will be? God, will you show me what job I will have? Can you tell me how much money I will make? And then it got even more focused. God, would you show me who I'll marry? In the powerful, matchless name of Jesus, please show me who I'll marry. Will I ever date anyone? God, will you please show me who I'll marry? I was so obsessed with my future. I look back now, I'm turning 50 in a few months. Praise God for Asian genes. I'm, I look back now and I think to myself, had God answered my prayer in the way that I wanted? Had God told 18-year-old Eugene that despite his parents ordaining him to become a doctor? It's a classic immigrant story. My oldest brother was supposed to be an engineer and he became an engineer. Immigrated from Korea at the age of 13, 14, goes to UC Berkeley, gets a master's degree, gets an MBA, gets a PhD, gets a postdoc, and I hate him. <laughs> Sorry, I shouldn't say that publicly. <laughs> Still needing counseling for that. My second brother was supposed to be kind of a lawyer, business person, goes to UCLA and works on Wall Street for many years. And I was supposed to be a doctor. So you can't know how heartbroken my parents were when I called them up during my third year in college. Uh, for a couple of you high school students here, this is the phone, FYI. <laughs> some of you are like, what, Dad, what is he doing? This is the phone. It's an old school phone. <laughs> I still remember very vividly calling my parents and saying, um, 어머니, Mom, Dad, I've decided what I want to become. Their first response, doctor! In that volume. Anio, um, no. Engineer, no. Lawyer, no. 어머니, 저... 목사 되고 싶습니다. I want to be a pastor. 
four or five minutes, all I heard. I mean, Darth Vader. And then she chokes me from afar. Strained our relationship, disowned for two years. Had God told 18-year-old Eugene that I meet my wife in Korea, beautiful cross-culture marriage, have three kids that we love so much, and one of them would have a lifelong chronic illness. And that we would spend not days, not weeks, not months, but years after years, visits to the hospital after visits, tears after tears, punches thrown into the air out of frustration, some into a wall. Had God told 18-year-old Eugene that planting Quest Church across the water wouldn't quite go as we had imagined in the beginning. And that Minhee and I, for about a year, would, the church just couldn't get off the ground, so I was unemployed, found out very quickly that a Master's of Divinity degree is pretty useless to society. <laughs> and nobody would hire me. And after months of being unemployed, being on the state food stamps WIC program, being without insurance, getting on DSHS, and then finally landing a job. And I share this not because this job was beneath me, it was not on my Excel sheet of life. Finally landed a job as the janitor at Barnes & Noble in Linwood on 186th Street what used to be the cleanest Barnes and Noble when I worked there. <laughs> Man, I can tell you story after story. Had God told 18-year-old Eugene some of the things that we've experienced so far? Let's just be honest. I would have ran the other way. I'm not saying or suggesting that God made a mistake, but there are times I'll read the story of God and Jonah and I'll ask the question, God, did you share too much with Jonah? Maybe just tell him to go and I'll reveal more later. The reason why God doesn't reveal clarity in our life the way that we want it, there's two reasons. One is because most of us, we don't have the maturity to handle it. But the second reason is because God loves you. He loves us so much that he'll just reveal what we need to continue to have faith in our life. But the promise is still true. When God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that's the good news. To so some of you right now who might be watching this, I know 
that there are folks that are wondering, God, what does tomorrow look like? What does next week look like? What does next year look like? What does circumstances around this situation look like? God's not going to reveal the specifics in the way that you desired, but would you receive the good news that Jesus, the Lord and Savior, the God of the cosmos promises to be with you? Here's the third thing that we can learn from our story. Third thing, I want you to just think about the phrase, God's voice. God's voice. Now, as you know, in the story, in the beginning, they have no idea that the voice that is being spoken to them from shore happens to be Jesus. So even as we critique the disciples, we can also sense that they're learning because eventually they realize that this voice isn't a random voice, but this voice comes from Jesus. Now, what does this voice originally say? The voice says, friends, haven't you any fish? Which, just to point out, is the worst question you can ask someone who's fishing, who's caught nothing. It's the worst question. Now, I want you to also realize, when Jesus asks this question, friends, haven't you any fish? That question was not for his benefit. Meaning, any time in the Gospels, when Jesus asks a question, it's not because he doesn't know. If Jesus were here right now and he asks you, friend, how do I get to this location? It's not because Jesus doesn't know. It's because there's a hidden thing that he's trying to reveal to you. So in this case, when Jesus says, friends, haven't you any fish? Jesus knows they've caught zero. So what is it that Jesus is trying to teach them? He's trying to teach them that despite the fact that these disciples were professional fishermen, who fished this body of water thousands of times, who knew the best spots, who knew the best circumstances and situations, apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Now, I want you to realize, like, when I look at this story, I can imagine the disciples, they knew so much about fishing. Just to give you a little glimpse, so I love fishing as well. And I love bass fishing, as I said, so I have different kinds of rods, rigs, reels, lures. I have a 5-6 rod, lightweight. I have a 6-foot rod, a 6-6 rod. I have a 7-6 rod. I also have a 10-foot rod for salmon and steelhead. I have braided line, monofilament line. I have different kinds of reels that I use, bait casters, reel casters. I have different sets of lures that I use. I love lures that are what we call surface lures, top water. I have lures that sink about four feet. I have different kinds of plastic worms, whether it's Texas rigs, nickel rigs, Carolina rigs. You have lures that go six feet, lures that dive in crankbait that can go as far as 10 to 15 feet. So in other words, I know more about fishing than you. And what Jesus is saying is, even though you might think you're an expert and know everything apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. 
it speaks about our dependence on God, our trust in God, and in this case, our willingness to listen, to be sensitive, to be aware of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Let's just be honest. We live in Seattle in the Puget Sound, in Bellevue on the east side, where we often talk about, man, our human innovation, human brilliance, human intelligence. I've heard it so many times. This area is the most educated place in the country. The home of companies that are changing the world. And it's very tempting, even as Christians, to think, I got this. I got this. And it's a reminder, A, that we're not in control, and B, we need to listen to the voice of God. I, I love that story in the Gospels. One of those, again, interesting questions that Jesus asks. It's a story of a woman who's suffering from internal bleeding, which means that she's perceived by those around her, including her family, as a sick, diseased person. And as a result, she's left alone, she's marginalized, she's ostracized, and in her desperation, she's working, worming through a crowd, thinking to herself, if only I can touch Jesus, I will be healed. And she finally gets to Jesus, touches Jesus, and praise God, by the power of God, she's healed. And then Jesus asks a ridiculous question. <laughs> Jesus says, who touched me? As if Jesus didn't know. Like, can you imagine Jesus going, ah! <laughs> Who touched me? I'm a perfect introvert. Who touched me? Or is it possible that in that moment when Jesus asks, that question isn't for him? Maybe that question was asked so that this woman who's been ostracized and marginalized for 12 years. That every single person that was present, the disciples, particularly the men that was present in that crowd, men during a very patriarchal culture, that Jesus wanted this woman to know and every single person to know that in the kingdom of God, the king stops and says, I see you. I see you. And that's the voice we need to hear again and again and again. Statistics tell us that the average American over the age of two spends about five and a half hours a day consuming media in various forms, over five hours, constantly sucking in, consuming all of the messages that we hear. And I'm not suggesting it's all bad, but can you imagine all of the messages that are coming into our life? And here's my question to you, and I gotta move on. If Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, fully God, fully human, chose to regularly, rhythmically retreat for silence, prayer, and time with God the Father, how much more do we as humans 
human beings need the gift of listening to God in our life. Here's point number four. If you're writing down notes, one word, emotions. Emotions. Now let me unpack emotions or feelings. Now I want to be really careful here. I'm married to a marriage and family therapist. So I'm not going to stand here and say that feelings and emotions don't matter. That's not my point. I want to actually highlight that feelings and emotions indeed matter. Coming from an Asian context, I have to remind myself that when I cry sometimes, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just part of what it means to be a human being. I want to be sensitive and aware and listen to my feelings and emotions, but I also want to make it very distinctively clear that while I'm sensitive to feelings and emotions, I do not worship my emotions. And that's a distinction. You see, the apostle or Peter, he was fairly well known as someone who wore his feelings and emotions on his sleeves. And we see how he was known to be the person who brought out his sword to chop off the ear of the soldier. We know how he was the one that said, no way, I'm not going to betray or deny you. And we know that he does this three times. And the list goes on and on. And in this roller coaster of emotions, when we place our feelings and emotions in the center of every single decision that we make, it's a very dangerous place to be. There's that tension. Be sensitive, be aware, be mindful. But sometimes as a pastor, I've been concerned because over the last 10 years, what I'm beginning to hear again and again and again to the point that it feels like a choir are believers saying, well, I don't feel like blank. I don't feel like going to church. I don't feel like praying. I don't feel like worshiping Jesus. I don't feel like giving. I don't feel like serving. I don't feel like I want to stay in this marriage. I don't feel like whatever the blank might be. Listen, there's room for your feelings. God welcomes your feelings and emotions. But may we be women and men, young and younger, people of all backgrounds who place our conviction that Jesus is Lord as the most central thing of our life. May we be guided by faith and not the roller coaster of our emotions. I, I hope I'm articulating this, that you understand there's room, invitation for your feelings, but may we never worship our feelings and emotions. Here's the last point that I want to make, and is this. The last point that I want to make is this phrase, come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. As we read the story, we know what transpires. We know that eventually the disciples know that it's Jesus. Here's Peter jumping into the water. He's swimming onto shore. The other disciples come. And I'm just trying to imagine if Jesus was not Jesus, if Jesus was like you or me. Just mere human beings, not perfect, riddled by our emotional up roller coaster. If I was Jesus, I would be tempted to say, as Peter came to shore, 
If I was Jesus, I would be tempted by maybe giving Peter the silent treatment. Arms crossed. Mm -mm. I mean, Jesus knew that Peter denied him three times on the verge of quitting, leading an insurrection of disciples wanting to go back. If I was Jesus, I might be tempted to give Peter the one-word response. Dude, really? Again? Seriously? What if Jesus said something like this? Peter, you're a failure. I've had it with you. I can't use you anymore. My prophetic word over your life being the cornerstone, the rock, no, no longer. You're a loser. You're unreliable, undependable. What if Jesus said, I'm done, and walked away? When people ask me, Pastor Eugene, what's grace? I point them to this story. Despite all that's gone on, I can imagine Jesus simply doing this. And then he points to the food. Come. And have breakfast. And Jesus feeds them, nourishes them. And we know that this isn't just a feel-good breakfast story. He reminds them who they are, reminds them who he is, and he recommissions them that God is not yet done with you. So I want to take a moment right now and just tell Overlake Church, God is far from being done with you. Even as you go through a transition, even a good transition, God is far from being done. I want to tell every single caregiver, parent, uncle, aunt, every foster parent, every adoptive parent that might be watching this, that I've been feeling the weight of this is not what I signed up for. Come and have breakfast. Jesus, your Lord, our Lord and Savior, desires to replenish us, nourish us. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would remind you he's not yet done. And so with that in mind, wherever you are, whether in the sanctuary or watching online, 
I want to invite you to join with me in prayer. So God, I pray for that one particular person that might be on the verge of feeling like it's too much. I'm done. I'm quitting. Maybe it's a calling. Maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's a friendship. Whatever that blank might be, I pray that you would pour your wisdom into them. Thank you that you invite our feelings. Thank you that you hear us. Thank you that you welcome us. Thank you that you forgive us. Thank you that you promise us that not only are you with us through all circumstances and situations, but that you're not yet done with us. God, we cling on to you during the season of, of uncertainty, certainly for the global community, especially here in Seattle. But we also cling on to you in the midst of whatever we might be going through. God, we love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. together as we worship.
is our living hope. Oh man, what a good word this morning. I don't know, it felt like it was just for me, but I'm assuming it was for all of us. I'm so thankful for Pastor Eugene being with us this morning. And I do wanna just remind you, he has a new book. You know what, we might be hanging out in our homes. We might have some spare time for reading. So get onto Amazon and order that. Thou shalt not be a jerk, it will be a good read. Um, Our worship this morning is gonna look, uh, with tithe and offering is gonna look a little different this morning. Obviously, for those of you who are at home, I wanna encourage you again, there's a little button there that says give. Right there, go ahead and press that and you can give online. For those of you that are here with us this morning, we're just not going to pass the buckets. We're going to try to minimize any risk. And so the ushers will be at the exit by the doors as you're leaving. You can drop your connection card in there and your tithe and offering. Um, And I do want to encourage us during this time of different and unknown, we are actually still called to be faithful. Right? We're still called to be obedient to what God has asked us to do. And, and the reality is that programs may slow down a little bit, but the work of the church and ministry never stops. And so we're invited to be faithful every day, every week, even in the midst of the uncertainty. So just remember that as we kind of go into the next week or so, that, that we're still called to be faithful with our time and with our giving. As we close, I do want to remind you that we're going to send out weekly information about how we're responding to what's going on in our community. So look for that email or check online at OCC.org. We'll update that and keep that updated this morning. Um, Let's 
Let's pray a blessing together. Why don't you do this wherever you are? Why don't you open your hands and let's receive this blessing. God, may we be people who are on the verge of quitting, remember the reality that Jesus is alive. May we be people who even when we don't know what will happen tomorrow, we rest that God is with us. And may we be people in the middle of all the noise, we still lean in and listen to the sweet voice of Jesus. And may we be people who in the midst of uncertainty, stand firm in the truth that Jesus is Lord. And may we be people who receive the nourishment of Jesus's words over us. I am not done with you yet. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Have a great week. See you next week. Maybe. Thank <laughs> you.